I come from Liverpool, and my father was one of 14 children, uh, 10 survivors. He was the youngest. And um, I've always been encouraged to hold two things in my head at the same time. And that was, I think, because my father's side were Irish Catholic, and my mother's side were German Protestant. And in Liverpool at that time, you really didn't do that. You didn't marry those two sides. We had two cathedrals, we had two football teams, and it was really very clear where the dividing lines lay. But, you know, my mum and dad fell in love, and that was great. And so they always basically said, well, the best thing to do is, like, go to both cathedrals, go to both football teams, and on a derby day, just, like, leave, leave Liverpool. <laughs> um, and I suppose growing up as well, in, right in the centre of Liverpool, and being told by my granddad that we were the third in, which was the Irish, we were the third in, the first in were the Chinese, the second in were the African sailors, not Windrush, long before, the third in were the Irish. You were told, well, you know, listen to other people's stories, understand where you fit into the cosmology, and, um, and you will be enriched, and also you will understand more. So this idea of two stories and also a, co a cosmology of which you are a part but not the center was a very important part of my being as a, as a girl. But when we were seven, when I was seven or eight, I'm one of four daughters, which is also important, um, my father, who'd come out of bomber command and into starting exams in the civil service, did quite well. We moved house, and lo and behold, we go out of the center of Liverpool um, Toxus and into a place called Childwell, and we become lower middle class, and then we keep moving. And as we move up, we become white. Well, of course, we were white, but we didn't know we were white. Um, and it's another one of those unexpected understandings that happen to you, but you only realize that you're white when you look around you, and you realize that everybody else has become the same tribe, and you've lost your cosmology, which did feel like a loss and still does in certain ways. I don't think I knew I was a girl in a conventional sense, you know, for quite a long time because of being one of four daughters. But eventually, I began to put the clues together that not only did I have the advantage of being a white person and therefore gates opened and doors opened and neighborhoods opened that weren't available to my friends I left behind, but I had the opposite situation as being a little girl, which is that if I wanted to be a hero, I couldn't be, but I could be a heroine, which would mean that I could be tied up and put in the corner while other people rode around on horses and did you know, sword fighting, and then I could be rescued. As, and that wasn't a speaking part, obviously. Um, and then, you know, when I went to school, um, when we were comprehensive, I was in a situation of being told as a, as a girl that my brain was different from a boy's by the chemistry teacher. And when I jumped off the stool to protest, and he said to me, well, name me a woman genius, I said, Marie Curie, and he said, and. And that was the rest of my history knowledge. I knew nothing else to say. So I began to understand that this idea of um, disadvantage, of prioritizing some over others, was forming into something which I was part of, I had advantages and I had disadvantages. And 
of course, you know, like most of us who are interested in both self-survival, but more importantly, personal dreams, I thought, okay, well, how can I get my dreams on the road? And my dreams were always about telling as many stories as possible and getting as many people to come around as an audience and preferably paying for it as well. Um, and so I went into theater, not from a theater background, and I became passionate about stories. And that passion took me on a variety of journeys, always interested in how do you widen the population of people whose stories count, whose stories matter. How do you give people the right to feel their stories need respect and space and time and energy? And how do we give listening power to people who you know, may not think it's relevant? That eventually, over a long period of time, leads me to become the artistic director of the South Bank Centre, which is one of the largest cultural institutions in the country and in Europe. And I say that deliberately because 30 years ago, a white girl from Liverpool who doesn't go to Oxbridge would in no way become that most senior post. And when you look at how I got there, you'd have to say it was because other people, men and women, got girls the vote, got girls birth control, got girls education, and eventually attacked the class system sufficiently to say, do you know what, we will let a version of meritocracy matter. So all that time, I supported the idea of girls and women having a voice in the world, a place in the world, but I didn't really come out as a woman. I mean, not in the sense of, do you know what, I'm, there's no going back. I am coming out as a woman and speaking about those things. Uh, and the reason I suddenly thought I must do this and started the Wow Women of the World Festival was, I suppose, something that happened to me when my, I have two children, a boy and a girl, and we went to see E.T. And um, some of you will have seen E.T. A lot of you will have seen E.T., yeah? And I was with my two children. And there's that wonderful moment when E.T. is in the basket in the front. And he's, you know, under danger. All the, the, the baddies are coming to get them. And all the kids are on their bikes. And they're driving away and driving away on their bikes, et cetera, et cetera. And E.T.'s in the bike on the front with the, you know, the sheet over his head. And they're not going to get there fast enough. And it's absolutely terrifying. And the baddies are catching up. And then all of a sudden, John Williams' music kicks in. And the bikes fly up over the moon. And E.T.'s going to be safe. And it's completely amazing. And my son was looking at this going, yeah. he was about seven. And my daughter burst into tears and went, why can't I go? And I looked at her, and I looked back at the screen, and I realized that everybody riding on the bike was a boy. And that down on the ground, looking up, was a little girl on a pink bike. She was about four, and she just sort of watched them leave. And my daughter was devastated. So I wrote to Steven Spielberg, and I said... <laughs> You've harmed my child's psychology forever. I will be sending you all the therapy bills. But the point is, I suddenly realized with a horrible understanding that I was being complicit in accepting a world that kept on giving heroic status to boys. And I have a boy who needed that status and whose identity was partly forged by the idea that, of course, he's the person who's going to rescue E.T. It's not going to be a girl on a pink bike, for God's sake. It's going to be him and his mates, because otherwise, what would being a boy mean? 
And yet my daughter wanted to know, well, what does being a girl mean? Now, that's a long time ago. And since then, lots of people have come out as women and said, actually, could we just be more truthful about the fact that we haven't got an equal world? And could we look at all the reasons why that is? And could we join the dots? And could we do something about it? And can we get on with it quicker? So, you know, I don't want to kind of use this, this, this moment to rehearse all the things that are happening, all the conversations that are happening all over the world, and how joyful that is. The ability to be ridiculous enough to believe in equality which is what it is. You have to be ridiculous enough, a bit like Jack was saying about climate change, you have to be ridiculous enough to say, I do believe that there will come a point, like the divine right of kings, when patriarchy will fall, and there will be a different system completely, and men and women will be equal, and in fact, gender, uh, you know, polarity may not even exist. Things will be totally different. Won't that be amazing? A world that we don't yet know. It is kind of crazy to try to make real a world that you cannot know, that you've never seen, while you're still operating from within the world that exists. And it's a bit like trying to do that, which as you see I can't do, because you are inside a matrix, you're complicit in it, and at the same time you're trying to change it, and that's very, very hard. But one thing I do know, and talking about these, this idea of holding twin stories in your head, the Catholic and the Protestant, Liverpool and Everton, is men and women. I live with a man. I, my dad was one of my former uh, influences, foremost influences. I have a, a, a son and a daughter. I have a granddaughter and a grandchild. And I want men to be as joyful and happy uh, about equality as I am when I imagine it. And this idea of coming out as a man is something that became exciting to me too. Not because I want men to kind of get on board for my sake, but actually just as I watched the white South Africans get on board for a different kind of South Africa, I believe that it is actually in our soul we would want a different kind of justice. And until women's stories are given the same value as men's stories, women's rights can never be given the same value either. And I saw a man come out as a man last night. And it wasn't, he didn't do it in preparation for me to give this speech. It's just one of those wonderful happen chances. So Rochdale Council rang a few weeks ago and said to me, look, we would love WOW, Women of the World, to come to Rochdale. We have one story being told about us, and it's about child exploitation. And you don't know what that's done to us, to have a, a town that's just thought of as a place that is cruel to children, and particularly to girls, and we've got to do something about that for the girls. But we also have to do something about it for the boys. So last night I did a kind of gathering in Rochdale, and there were some amazing people gathered of all different kinds to talk about how would they take a story that's told about in one way and change that story for something different. And there was an amazing woman from Syria uh, an asylum seeker, as she said, she hasn't yet reached the status of refugee. She's been waiting 14 years to be accepted. She's still unable to work. And she was talking about the ability to be made visible through her story as a woman. And I've heard many of those stories before, and you always long for every individual to be given respect and space. But perhaps the more moving story last night was me watching a policeman, 50, big, 
muscular. Everything that, you know, a bloke often looks like when they're thinking about a bloke. And I remembered a workshop I did last week in Mulberry School with 40 boys, where I said to them, what are the attributes of a boy and what are the attributes of a girl? The attributes of a boy, leadership, muscularity, hair, moustache, uh, strong, uh, uh, stiff upper lip, all of those words. And I said, and a girl, what's a girl? Uh, kind, tender, nurturing, intelligent. Um, and I said, aren't you kind? Aren't you nurturing? Are those not words that you could attach to a boy? And they really kind of went, not really. And I thought about how, in different ways, women are taught to disbelieve in self and neg negate themselves. But so are boys. They're also taught to negate things in themselves that, that they need for the future. And last night, this bloke policeman said, if I had one thing I could do, he said, what I'd like to do is gather thousands and thousands of men and make them all light candles. And so many men gathered, and in the candles, it would spell out women's rights are human's rights. And it would be such a huge gathering that you'd be able to see it from the moon. Now, for a policeman who's a bloke to come up with this hugely romantic image that is so ludicrous <laughs> is so wonderful. And I thought, that's a man coming out as a man. He's coming out for his own sake, for his own moral view. He's not trying to do it to please any women. It's because it's what he believes, and I hope he does it. So my twin desire is that not only my daughter, but my son, my granddaughter and my grandson, that they both are crazy enough to believe in a gender equal world, because that is what joy would look like when we make it happen. Thank you.